Okay, everybody, let's, uh, let's start. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and encounter them the fire of thy love. And send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created. Let us pray, O God, and instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost. Grant us by the gift of the same Spirit, when we may be truly wise, never rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, the hour of our death. Amen. St. Pius X, seen as a door. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right, these are the... Uh, persevering students. Uh, God bless you for coming tonight as we continue talking about the Mass. So last time we made it up to the offertory. Uh, so it'll be just this Tuesday and next Tuesday for us to finish up with the Mass. And I've got some big news. I got a new computer um, because my other computer was so slow and painful I would have to wait five minutes for it to do anything. And as you saw earlier on the first lesson, um, it refused to play traditional mass. And I said, you know, this is obviously, you know, we have to get rid of this computer. Um, so I did that. So I did that. I got myself a very fast computer. I said, just, I, I said to the Best Buy guy, um, I want this to be fast for years to come. So right now it's screaming fast, which, yes, is great. So we, um, we are now at the Mass of the Faithful, which is the most important part of the Mass, the sacrificial part of the Mass. You remember we finished the, the lesson last week by explaining the different aspects of sacrifice, what is necessary in order to perform a sacrifice, uh, why we do sacrifice, and why the Mass is a real sacrifice. Because of the fact that the Mass is a sacrament, and God makes sacraments such that when you have a sign present... What is signified by the sign is accomplished. So it's like a stop sign that would not just say stop on it, but would actually make your car stop. It would cause the effect of what it's symbolizing. <clears throat> so the Mass is a sacrament, and it signifies a sacrifice, and it causes there to be a sacrifice, both, because it is a sign that causes um, it signifies the sacrifice through the offertory, the consecration, and the communion, where you have the offering of the victim, the immolation of the victim, and the consummation of the victim. The immolation of the victim is through the symbolic separation of our Lord's body and blood in the double consecration. So we're going to move on today to the offertory. And again, we have this diagram from the Know Your Mass uh, comic book, which is very handy for us giving the overall view of the Mass. So this shows the, the various prayers of the offertory, and it's really just meaning to signify um, that we are going up to the canon. But what, what we have to note is that there is a dividing point in the offertory the, the offertory immediately launches into the main purpose of the offertory. What is the main purpose of the offertory? It is to offer the victim to God. That's that first step for making a sacrifice. 
This is accomplished very early on in the offertory. And you have the offering of the bread, and you have the offering of the wine. After the offering of the bread and the offering of the wine, the priest switches gears. He's already accomplished what the offertory is for. And so he, he moves to um, the focus on preparing himself for the, the consecration. He's preparing himself for accomplishing the sacrifice. So he, so he offers the victim, and then he's going to prepare himself for the consecration um, uh, of, of, the, of the Mass, which is the, the climax of the Mass. So the offertory begins. Um, I think, you know, when, when we get to the Mass of the Faithful, it might, it might be nice for us to actually see what the priest is doing at some points. And if this computer does not play the video, I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to take it back to Best Buy. <laughs> um, and say, this, this computer will not play the traditional Mass, so I don't want it. Um, so at the, the beginning of the offertory, you have the priest praise the offertory verse. That's, that's what's happening here. And then immediately, there is the unveiling of the chalice. So up to this point, the chalice has been veiled. Why, why do you think this is the case? You know that the priest takes the chalice up to the altar at the beginning, and then it just stays veiled until this part of the Mass. Why does it remain veiled all this time? Is it to hide it from the catechumens? Yeah, yeah, because um, once the catechumens are gone, then you can tar- start the sacrifice in earnest, and perhaps if the it was unveiled, they might get some clues as to what's going to go on. Um, so you have... The, I'm going to say the uh, offertory verse. Takes the veil off. Takes the pall off. And the host is there, so he's going to say this prayer of offering, the offering of the bread. This is the prayer for the offering of the bread. So he looks up to the cross first, then he looks down, he says the prayer, and when he's finished with the prayer, he's going to make the sign of the cross with the host. He's going to hide the patent too. You know, in a solemn high mass, it's the subdeacon who hides the patent. The subdeacon has the patent in the humeral veil. And the subdeacon takes the patent at this point and puts, puts it behind the humeral veil. So um, this first prayer is the prayer of the offering of the host. And the traditional mass already anticipates what the, the host is going to become. What is it going to become? It's going to become our Lord. It's going to become the victim for the sacrifice. So the, the prayer, Sushipe Sancti Pater, speaks of Immaculatum Ostiam, the immaculate victim. That's what's being offered to God. Even though, right now, it's just a piece of bread, the Mass is wanting to anticipate what it's going to become. So this, this prayer, the Sushipe Sancti Pater, speaks of, um, uses sacrificial language. And something you want to notice that when we start this part of the Mass, there is a kind of a great silence that descends upon the Mass. Up to this point, there's, 
been just a, a lot of, um, the, the priest will say almost everything out loud. Almost everything up to this point has been said out loud, right? Um, if you think it's, it's, it consists of a lot of readings, um, you, you think of the introit or the collect, or the gloria or the kyrie or the epistle or the gradual or the gospel, everything's said out loud, right? But it's at this point you start to have a lot of silence in the Mass when we start the sacrificial part of the Mass. Um, the priest says a lot of the, the prayers to himself because the sacrifice pertains more to him. It's something that he does. Um, it's, it's not something that, that the faithful do. Whereas the first part of the Mass is more for the instruction of the faithful, more for the preparation of the faithful. So he says things out loud in a way that they can hear it. In the, in these, in the, in the offertory, um, these prayers are more for the action that he is doing. So let's, let's take a look at this, uh, this beautiful prayer, the Sushi Pe Sancti Pater. Um, the priest looks up at the cross, then he looks down, because this prayer refers to his own unworthiness. A, a lot of the, 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 the priest is so conscious of his unworthiness, where the, the prayers force him to be um, throughout the offertory. Jackie, could you read that that prayer for us? Do you have it there? The beginning of the offertory. Receive, O Holy Father, almighty and eternal God, this spotless host which I, thy unworthy servant, offer unto thee, my living and true God, for mine own countless sins, offenses, and negligences, and for all here present, as, as also for all faithful Christians, living and dead, that it may avail both for my own and their salvation unto life eternal. Amen. Okay. So, the prayer of the offering of the host. Receive, Heavenly Father, this spotless host or victim. The word host is a bit ambiguous in English. Um, host is, uh, it, it's especially today's English. I mean, when, when we say host today in English, we mean someone who's going to receive guests, right? Someone who's receiving guests over their house. That's the host, correct? Yes. So what, what is done in the, in the English translation is just like sort of transliterating the, the word because the word in Latin is ostia, it's just going to say host in English. It's kind of sloppy translation um, because the word host no longer re- means what ostia means in Latin. The, the word host in English means someone who receives guests, um, the host or the hostess, right? But the word ostia in Latin means victim, victim. So that's, that's what the meaning of, of, of host in this context means victim. And it, it, then it's, it's, uh, the priest says, refers to himself as an unworthy servant. He says, I'm offering this to atone for my innumerable sins, offenses, and negligences. So the offenses are the sins of commission, things that you do. Negligences are the sins of omission. You know you can commit a sin by something that you do. You can also commit a sin by something that you don't do, but you should have done. Right, like um, you, you should you 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 have 
charge over your child and you, your child is doing something wrong um, and you fail to correct your child. This is a sin of negligence. So the priest asks for the forgiveness of, of those sins. And for salvation. For salvation. Another, this is another prayer that asks for salvation. You know, there's so many prayers in the Mass that ask for salvation. All right. So the offering of the bread is done. What's the next thing the priest has to do? In the offertory. Offer the wine. Offer the wine. Offer the wine. So that's what the offertory is about. He needs to offer the bread. He needs to offer the wine. So what is he going to do? He's going to go get the wine. The chalice is, is empty. And he's, he's going to go to fill up the chalice with the wine. Um, so he's going to go to the side of the altar to do that. And when he's filling the chalice with wine, he says nothing. Okay. So he filled the chalice with the wine, but he said no prayer for the filling of the chalice with the wine. The prayer for the chalice he's going to say when he goes to the center of the altar. Then he is going to bless the water and say a prayer over the water. I think I mentioned in the first lesson why he blesses the water and why he puts the water in the chalice. Any of you remember why the, the water, why the drop of water is going to be placed in the chalice? Gerard? It symbolizes the things we are operating with the sufferings of our Lord, our own suffrages. Yes, yes. So... The water symbolizes the faithful. The priest blesses the water. It's like a blessing of the faithful. And he puts a drop of water in the chalice to symbolize the mingling of the faithful with our Lord. In the councils of Florence and Trent, they, they mention three reasons why there's a drop of water put in the chalice. One of them is the reason that I just gave you, because this is a symbol of the union of the faithful with, the, with our Lord in the sacrifice. Second reason is because our Lord himself did it at the Passover. He added water to the wine at, at the Last Supper. And then the third, it's a symbol of the water and blood that came from the side of our Lord when his side was pierced. So those are the three reasons for the pouring of the water into the wine. But the most significant is the... The, the fact that it symbolizes the faithful. <clears throat> and the prayer that the priest says, he does say a prayer here. He does say a prayer when he puts the, the, the water into the wine. Um, the prayer is, is a request that as our Lord took on our humanity, that he transform us and give us to partake of his divinity. As he took on flesh and took on our humanity, May we, through this sacrifice, be able to take on his divinity to some degree. Um, do you have it there, Ashley? Could you, could you read that, that prayer? Which one is it? Deus qui humani substantiae. Okay. Do you want me to read it in English or Latin? Uh, English, please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, they would all understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, you know. Um, 
O God, who in creating man didst exalt his nature, very wonderfully, yet more wonderfully did establish it anew by the mystery signified teeming. In the mingling of this water and wine, grant us to have part in the Godhead of him who hath vouchsafed to share our manhood, Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Ghost, God, Lord, without us. So the symbolism here is the mingling of our Lord with us, the mingling of the faithful with our Lord. And so this prayer refers to that mingling. Our Lord mingled as God. He mingled his divine nature with our human nature through the hypostatic union. And we ask that we might mingle our human nature with his divine nature. Um, so this, this is a very nice prayer. Um, I want to give a little bonus to the catechism for you who are, who are here. No extra charge for this one. But um, you might notice the chalice that the priest is using. And there's three types of chalices. There is the Romanesque chalice, the Gothic chalice, and the Baroque chalice. Um, so let's, let's take a look at this chalice that, that he's using as he says this prayer. <clears throat> I don't know, they're not, they're not showing the priest, but, so you can't see that he's... So he bows to the crucifix at the time that he says the name of our Lord. And now he's going to um, make the offering. So there's his chalice. And this is the one prayer of the Mass where he, he looks at the cross the whole time. And he makes the sign of the cross at the end, just as he did with the bread. Okay. So who wants to give a shot as a what type of chalice? That is, Romanesque, Gothic, or Baroque? I would have to say Romanesque, but that's a pretty, pretty much Yeah, Romanesque, we've got Gothic, <laughs> Baroque, go. Danny. Anybody else want to guess? Anybody else up for it? Baroque. Baroque. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, you're not getting greeted, so... That's that's a good news. <laughs> um, so it, it's it's a Baroque chalice. It's a Baroque chalice. Um, the Romanesque chalice has a very rounded cup. It's a, it's a very simple, more simple design in a very rounded cup. Um, Romanesque chalice is, is in fact hard to drink from. You have to be careful when you're drinking from Roman. There's no lip, and it's and it's very rounded. So it's the chance that you go out the sides if you're not careful. Um, the the Gothic chalice is, is is more this this shape. I have I have a Gothic chalice, um, and it's it's nice, um, and it's it's uh, it's ornate. It's, it's definitely or, or more ornate than a Romanesque chalice. Um, and then the Baroque chalice has that very narrow cup, it's a thin, narrow cup. Um, so this, this is just a small cup in a, in a, a, a thin uh, sort of very um, narrow presentation on on the chalice. So the the um, the priest then makes the the offering of the wine. He looks at the cross the whole time that he makes this offering, and he makes the sign of the cross when he comes to the end of the prayer um, with the chalice, just as. When, when he offered the host, he made the sign of the cross at the end. Why, why would the priest want to make the sign of the cross? Or why would the church want the priest to make the sign of the cross? 
Okay. It's showing what the, uh, the bread and the wine are being offered for, but they're being offered to be the sacrifice for Yes, yes. So the, the church wants to link the prayer with the sacrifice of the cross. So the prayer itself uses the language of sacrifice, but then also the gestures that are used link the prayer with the sacrifice of the cross. Link what is being offered with the sacrifice of the cross by making the sign of the cross at the end. So it's done at the end of the offering of the bread. It's done at the end of the offering of the wine. And it's done all over um, the canon. Um, Emily, would you like to read that prayer for us? Which one? The, um, the Opharimos TV prayer. The offering to thee, O Lord, the trials of salvation, beseech thy clemency, that it may ascend before thy divine majesty as a sweet savor for our salvation and for that of the whole world. Amen. Okay. So this is the offering prayer, and it's another prayer that does what? Like, like the offering the bread, this prayer links to the sacrifice. Ask for salvation. Ask for salvation. Ask for salvation. It's all throughout the traditional Mass. We uh, are so conscious that we're sinners and we're in need of redemption. And this is the means we're going to accomplish it through the Mass, through this sacrifice of the Mass. At this point, the offering is done. The offering of the offertory is done. The offering part. But the offertory itself is not done. Before the priest, he's not just going to launch into the canon. But before he starts the canon, he's going to prepare himself. He's going to say some prayers um, for his purification. And he's going to, of course, wash his hands. Um, And then he's going to ask the Trinity that they accept, um, that the, the sacrifice be acceptable through the intercession of various saints. Then he's going to ask you, the faithful, to say some prayers as well, that the sacrifice be acceptable to God. And then finally, he's going to say the secret. Um, and he's going to say the preface, the last prayer before entering into the canon. So immediately after this offering of the wine, um, there's, he, he starts these prayers uh, asking God that, that the sacrifice be acceptable. He, he has to bend down in saying this prayer. Um, he says, humbled in spirit and contrite of heart, may we find favor with thee, O Lord. May our sacrifice be so offered this day in thy sight as to be pleasing to thee, O Lord God. Prayer from the, on the, behalf, from the part of the priest, asking God that the sacrifice be acceptable. Then he, he makes the sign of the cross over both the bread and the wine, invoking the Holy Ghost. And this prayer has a special name. It's called the Epiclesis. Epiclesis is just a fancy name for the prayer in the Mass that invokes the Holy Ghost for him to come down and make the the sacrifice acceptable. 
in traditional maps, this happens during the offertory. Um, in the Eastern Rites, it, it happens during the canon. Um, this is, this is, there's a couple criticisms with Vatican II of this offertory. Um, one was that we shouldn't speak of the bread and wine using sacrificial language if they are not yet our Lord. They didn't like that. So they removed the sacrificial language from the offering of the bread and the offering of the wine. Now they have this very banal prayer. And uh, thanking God for, the, for this, this bread and this wine, which is the fruit of human hands, and may become for us spiritual food and drink. That's, that's the new offertory. It removes the sacrificial language. They also did not like the fact that the epiclesis was here at this point instead of being in the canon, so they, they removed uh, the epiclesis. <coughs> so the, this prayer is, goes as follows. Come thou, the sanctifier, which is the Holy Ghost, almighty and everlasting God, and bless this sacrifice, which is prepared for the glory of thy holy name. And again, at this sacrifice, the priest makes the sign of the cross over the bread and the wine, to you identify these offerings with the sacrifice of the cross. To make it clear what we're referring to. Uh, that's, that's the point of the gesture. So you see um, this priest say the prayer in spirit humilitatis. He's going to, to do the shoulder bow for that one. And then you'll see him make the sign of the cross. Has to be over both the uh, the bread and the wine. Then he goes to the side of the altar to to wash his fingers. You see, he's just washing these four fingers. He's not washing his whole hands. He's not doing that. He's just doing these four fingers, the canonical fingers. Um, obviously, these are the only fingers that he will use to touch the host during during the, the whole of the canon. The priest will not touch the host with anything other than these four fingers. Whether it be for giving communion, or whether it be for touching the, the, the big host, the main host. It will always be these four fingers. So those are the ones that the priest uh, washes. And this, he, he's, he's not, uh, he's, he, the priest is supposed to actually wash his hands before he says mass. But wash the whole of his hands. Um, and there's a prayer that the priest says when washing his hands before he puts his vestments on. Um, so so the, the purpose of the lavabo is a prayer um, for the purity of the priest and also to prepare the canonical fingers. This is an excerpt from Psalm 25. Um, so Psalm 25 is said during prime. Um, Right, Mrs. Fisher, we, we pray this. Uh, we pray this during Prime. Um, is it uh, is it Wednesday? Is it, do we do we pray it on yeah. Wednesday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Um, so Wednesday mornings at Prime. If you want to show up at six thirty, we'll uh, pray the whole Psalm together. Um, Psalm twenty five. I think the first four verses are not here in the Mass, but the rest of the psalm is uh, the, the lavabo. 
where the priest speaks about how he wants to be among the innocent. Um, I will wash my hands among the innocent, and I will encompass thy altar, O Lord, that I may hear the voice of thy praise and tell of all thy wondrous works. And he, he says that he doesn't want to be associated with the wicked um, men of blood, men who have iniquity in their hands. They're full of, they, they give bribes. Um, but he has walked in his innocence. My foot has stood in the right way in the churches. I will bless thee, O Lord. So it's another one of those psalms. It's, it's, it's referring to the altar of God, to the church of God. Very appropriate for the Mass. Then the priest goes to the center. As I said, he's going to say a prayer to the Holy Trinity to ask that the sacrifice be acceptable to God through the intercession of the saints. And then he's going to ask that the faithful um, say a prayer on their part that the sacrifice be acceptable. So so he, he asks the saints, and then he's going to ask... The, he's done his own prayers. Now he's going to ask the intercession of the saints... And then he's going to ask you all as well to pray on his behalf that this sacrifice be acceptable before he launches into the can. So, who else we, we've got has. Uh, Aaron, you want to read the prayer to the Trinity? Suchipe. Suchipe Trinitas. Receive, O Holy Trinity, this offering which we make to thee in remembrance of the, the passion, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in honor of Blessed Mary the Virgin, of Blessed John the Baptist, of the Holy Apostles Peter and Paul, of these and all the saints, that it may avail to their honor and our salvation, and may they vouchsafe to intercede for us in heaven, whose memory we celebrate on earth, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay. So anything noticeable about this prayer? Anybody pick up something about this prayer? Invoking the saints and asking for salvation. salvation. Asking for salvation. <laughs> um, yeah, just the church is so focused on on that. Um, we want this sacrifice to bring honor to the saints and to us salvation. So what, what saints do we have here? What saints are we invoking in this prayer? Peter and Paul, John the Baptist, Our Lady, right? Yeah. All the saints. And all the saints. And all the saints. This sounds a little bit like what? What does this sound a little bit like? The confidier. The confidier. The confidier. Except for St. Michael. You know, St. Michael's the only one who's not there. Um, I, I think I... Did, did I say that why, why I thought that might be the case? Um, <laughs> did I bring that up? Um, so, why isn't St. Michael there? I mean, because St. Michael was in the confidier, but why isn't St. Michael here uh, at this point of the Mass? Any, anybody have any guesses? I and mean, this, is, this is not... This is just my, my opinion. It's... Not anybody official on this one. Pardon? He's an archangel. Yeah, I think it might be because right before this, there is an insensation. And um, it's in the insensation that we, we invoke St. Michael. Uh, so we kind of skipped over the insensation prayer. You remember 
that at the sung mass you have an incensation at three points. First, for, when's the first time that the altar is incensed? Right at the beginning. Right at the uh, uh, before the introit. Before before the introit um, and the curie, right as the priest goes up the altar, that's when the first incensation is. And the, and the priest blesses the incense, and he says, Abilo bene caris in cuius honore cremaveris. May you be blessed in whose honor you will be burned. May you be blessed in, in whose honor you will be burned. Right? He blesses the incense, and then he incenses the altar, walks around the altar, and then he gets incensed by the, the, the thurifer, right? And then when's the second time <clears throat> that you have an incensation? At the gospel, the gospel, the second time you have an incensation is for the incensation of the book. And the priest says the same prayer over the incense, the blessed incense. Um, you, I'm sure you've all heard the, the funny story about, I think it was Pius IX, who was in Rome, and, and the, the, this uh, cleric came to him, and he said, hey, I wanted to introduce you to my Protestant friend. Um, and the Protestant friend was so happy to, to, to meet the Pope. And he said, Holy Father, can you give me a blessing? And Holy Father was like, gladly. He's like, Abilo Benedictus and Cuius Honoricaramabris. May you be blessed in whose honor you will be burned. Um, so. <laughs> um, so, the, the, the prayer of blessing for the incense is, is that prayer for the first two incensations, which happened during the Mass of the Catechumens. But the third and the greatest incensation happens during the offertory. When does it happen in the offertory? Does it happen after the offering or before the offering? After, after the offering. After the offering. It happens after the offering. And... It happens after the epiclesis, right after the epiclesis. This prayer invoking the Holy Ghost to come down upon the offering. That's when the priest imposes incense. And this time he has this blessing prayer that's much more elaborate in which he invokes St. Michael. Um, yeah. So, Rachel, could you read, you, you have that prayer? Could you read the uh, the blessing prayer? Yes. So through through the intercession of Saint Michael, and I. I suppose that maybe because we've we've just invoked Saint Michael, that Saint Michael does not appear in that prayer for the Trinity. Um, so that the incense is is blessed there, and you have um, an incensation that is a lot more solemn in the offertory. What are, what are some differences uh, for the incensation that takes place at the offertory as opposed to the other parts of the Mass, the ones we have talked about? The incense is the offering. Yes. So the priest incenses the offering. He has to make the sign of the cross. Again, makes the sign of the cross three times. 
with the thurible over the bread and the wine. And then he makes two circles counterclockwise and one circle clockwise over the offerings. Um, so first, triple-double to the cross. You know what I mean by triple-double? Three, three times you swing it twice. Priests swing it three times twice. Um, that's after he, he blesses the... He, he, he incenses the offerings. Um, could we read the prayer that the priest says? Rachel, could you just continue with the prayer that he says when he's incensing the offerings? Yeah. May the incense ascend to you, and may your mercy descend upon us. That's what the priest says when he's making these signs of the cross over the offerings. Uh, we don't have it. We don't have it here because it's just a low mass. And then, when then when he's when he's incensing the altar this time, the church asks him to say a prayer while he's doing the incensation. The first two, well, the first time that he incensed the altar. This is the second time the altar is being incensed. The first time, the priest said nothing when he was incensing the altar. But this time, he's supposed to say prayer taken from the Psalms. Um, what is what is that prayer? Rachel, the Dirigator. Yes. So, to make excuses in my sins... Is that what it says? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So even while, while the priest is incensing the altar during the offertory, even there, he's asking for his purification. This incensing sequence um, is partly for the purification of the priest. And then he says a final prayer when he hands the, the thurible to the deacon or to the MC. He says he's supposed to, to say... Um, the Akchendat prayer. Could you, could you read that, Rachel? May the Lord enkindle within us the fire of His love and the flame of everlasting charity. So that's that prayer is said at the very end. That the the, the psalmist said while he's incensing the altar. In the very end, when he hands the thurible, he says this prayer: Akchendat in nobis dominis inum sui amoris flamam eterni caritatis. Amen. And then the priest is incensed by the deacon the one to whom he's handed the thurible. And then what does the deacon do after that? He says the priest. He incenses the priest. After he incenses the priest, what does he do? He incenses Rachel? Everyone else, starting with? Yes, yes. So, so he follows the hierarchy of those who are in the sanctuary. If there's an assistant priest, he starts with him. Um, he instances the priests who are in choir. If there's priests in it who are attending, he instances them. Uh, he instances the subdeacon. Then he hands the thurible over to the thurifer. And the thurifer instances the deacon. Then he instances the MC. Then the acolytes, right? Then the torchbearers. Um, and then finally, the faithful. He goes to the faithful, the ones who are professing Catholics, right? Um, 
and then, and then finally he's done. He's done. Everybody's incensed, all upset. Um, <laughs> so um, this is clearly the most solemn insensation of the Mass. It takes place during the Mass of the Faithful. begins with the insensation of the offerings that are going to become our Lord, then goes to the altar, then to the priest, then to the deacon, and so on. Okay. So let's just see this prayer to the Trinity, and then the priest will turn around. Uh, with the prayer to the Trinity, again, it's a shoulder bow. He looks at the cross, then he, then he has a shoulder bow. He looks at the cross, bows down, um, says the prayer to the Trinity, and he's going to turn around and, yeah, is this the only time he turns around and doesn't say Dominus Vobiscum? Um, you know, I, I actually did that the other day. I started to say Dominus Vobiscum. I was just, I don't know, I was thinking, I've, I haven't done that. I don't know if I've ever done that. but And the server's going to say this, Shushipiyat. Um, may, may the Lord receive the sacrifice at your hands. May the Lord accept the sacrifice from my hands to the praise and glory of his name for our benefit and that of all his holy church. This is what, what you all say, your, your prayer on behalf of the priest. Uh, then there's, there's the secret. <clears throat> secret is called secret because the, the, this is the one prayer um, throughout all of the, the propers that is not said out loud. So you think about all the properties, the introit, the collect, the epistle, the gradual, the alleluia, the gospel, the offertory, the secret, the communion and the post-communion. Those, those are all the, the prayers of the proper, right? Which of them are said in silence? Which of them are not said in silence? I think the only one that's said in silence is the secret, which is right here. And then the priest... Again, when, whenever he prays the collect, the secret and the post-communion, he prays with his hands extended, this ancient form of prayer. And when he does it this time, he is supposed to include between his hands the offerings, the oblation. So the, the bread and the wine have to be between his left hand and his right hand. When he sings, so it's, like, it's like including them in his prayer. So he's, he's going to say the secret... Um, he's saying a mass of Our Lady. That's why he bowed his head. He, there's the name of Our Lady, probably. And then he joins his hands before saying the preface. So then he goes into the preface. He says, Promnia secula seculorum. He says, Dominus Vobiscum. And this time, he's not turning around to say Dominus Vobiscum. Has that ever happened in the mass up to this point where priest says Dominus Vobiscum and does not turn around? Yes, yes. Yes, it's happened a couple times. Before the collect, he says Dominus Vobiscum turning around. Um, when he goes to, to say the gospel, he doesn't turn around. Um, and then when, when he goes up the altar as well, uh, after the prayers of the fruit of the altar, he says Dominus Vobiscum. And he doesn't turn around. Here as well, he doesn't turn around. Why is that the case? Well, 
Father, Father Brown, um, he says he doesn't turn around here for two reasons. Number one, it was at this time the sanctuary gates were closed. And in some places, the curtains were drawn around the sanctuary. Such that the faithful could not see the priest directly. Some places they would have some curtains. They close the curtains. Then, secondly, when the priest said, Arate fratres, or pray for me, brethren, he, as it were, bid farewell to the, to the people and set himself to only face the Holy of Holies for the most solemn part of the Mass. So it's like, now I'm not turning around anymore. When's the next time the priest is going to turn around to the faithful at the communion, right? At communion. That's the next time the priest is going to turn around is at the communion. So now he's just, I'm going in. I've done my purification. I'm going, everybody's prayed. We're, we're ready to do this. Now I'm going into the Holy of Holies and I'm not turning around anymore. Um, then he, he uh, says, you know, sosum corda, you know, lift up your hearts. You, you all say we have done that. Um, then let us give thanks to to God, and you all say it's it's that's a good idea. It's a good idea. Dinu at Um So, and then he he launches into the preface. the The prefaces are very beautiful. They vary for different feasts of the year. I mentioned on Sunday a very interesting aspect of the prefaces that I only noticed recently is their mentioning of the choirs of angels. If you, if you look at which choirs of the angels they mention, it's different. And even, even how they invoke the angels. Um, some of them say that, that we are uniting with the angels in singing to God. Um, singing the Sanctus to God. And um, others mention the angels in another context. So let's, let's just do a little exercise um, and look at the prefaces, those of you who have the missiles, um, can you get the preface to Our Lady? What, what preface do you have? So the, which, which preface do you have? Preface for Sundays. Can you can you read the end part where it mentions the angels for the the preface for the Holy Trinity? You see that? Yeah. We got oh. Holy Trinity. Which the angels praise. Yeah. Which the angels praise and the archangels and the cherubim. Cherubim also and the seraphim. Um, cease not day by day crying out with one voice to repeat. Okay. So the preface, Jackie's reading from the preface of the Holy Trinity. Preface of the Holy Trinity mentions four choirs of angels. The angels, the archangels, the cherubim, and the seraphim. And it says that they do not cease to cry out in praise to God. Day by day. Every day, the angels are, are praising God. Yeah, the four, four of the choirs of angels. Um, Michelle, what, what, does, what does yours say about the angels? You've got the preface of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, can you can you read what it says so, about the angels? So is it from here? Is this through whom the angels praise? Yes. Okay. Through whom the angels praise, thy majesty, the dominions, worship it, and the powers are in all. 
the heavens and the heavenly host and the blessed seraphim join together in celebrating their joy. With these, we pray we join our own voices also while we say with lowly praise. Okay, okay. So the preference of, of Our Lady, it also mentions four choirs of the angels. And it doesn't just say that they they praise God, but it says we're going to unite our voice with their praise. And it, and it mentions different choirs of angels. There's the, the powers and the dominions. Is the powers, the dominions, the, the caravan, and the angels? Of a so we have here the dominions, the angels, the dominions, the powers, and the seraphim. And the seraphim. So four other choirs of angels that are mentioned in this preface. And you can, you can go through the different prefaces and you can see that you have different choirs of angels that are mentioned. Sometimes it will say they praise God unceasingly. Other times it says we're uniting our praise with their praise in saying the following. So there's four choirs of angels? I thought there were three. There are nine. There are nine <coughs> choirs of angels. Oh, okay. So, oh, okay. And, and are they separated in threes? They're separated in threes, three sets of three. Okay. Um, so the, the preface is they mention eight different choirs of the angels, and for some reason one of them is left out. I don't, I don't know why one of them is left out, but that's just the way it is. Um, it's, I think it's the principalities. Yeah, if you, if you look through, I couldn't find the principalities when I was looking through the prefaces. Um, I saw the, the seraphim, the caravim, the powers, the dominions, um, the archangels, the angels, and the thrones. I might have missed one. Dominations. I mentioned them. I mentioned them. Um, so, so yeah, these, these prayers are, are very beautiful. And um, because they are prayers of thanksgiving and praise, and we're going into the most solemn part of the Mass, um, we want to summon, as it were, the angels. We want to unite ourselves with the angels in giving this praise to God. Um, so let me just read the, um, I think this is the preface of the Trinity. It is truly meet and just right for our salvation, for our salvation, that we should at all times and all places give thanks to thee, O Holy Lord, Father Almighty, everlasting God, who together with thine only begotten Son and the Holy Ghost are one God, one Lord, not in the oneness of a single person, but in the trinity of one substance. For what we believe by the revelation of thy glory, the same do we believe of thy Son, the same of the Holy Ghost, without difference or separation. So there's some Trinitarian doctrine in the preface of the Holy Trinity. If you look at the, the prefaces, the beginning part is often the same, and the end part is often the same. But the middle part refers to the mystery, the specific mystery that it's treating about. So that in confessing the true and everlasting Godhead, distinction in persons, unity in essence, and equality in majesty may be adored, which the angels and the archangels, the cherubim also, and the seraphim do praise, who cease not daily to cry out with one voice, saying, and then the Sanctus, which appears in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's vision of the seraphim, 
um, and their six wings, and them giving homage at the throne of God. So this is, these are the last words that the priest says out loud. Most, most of the offertory has been in silence. Most of it's been in silence. Um, think of all the prayers the priest said, vast majority of them in silence. But at the end, after he asks the faithful to pray, then he's, he, he says a last prayer with them, the preface, before going into the canon, at which point it's going to be all silence. The whole canon is going to be in, in silence. There's no, they're not going to be any talking during any of the, of the canon. So he's going, to say, he's going to say the preface of Our Lady. So that's the part particular to Our Lady. Then he goes to the end part. And he folds his hands and bow for the Sanctus. Okay, so so that's the offertory, <clears throat> and we just have a few minutes, um, and I just want to give you something of a preview of the canon, which we'll talk about next week. Um, so that's especially when we're going to need Father Manusos to to help us with with one of his diagrams, um, and this is. This is the diagram that he has for the canon because he sees the whole Mass as ascending to the consecration. That's the high point of the Mass, the point when our Lord comes down on the altar. And then from there, God comes to us. You go down from the steps. And what he's going to say is that the canon consists of two types of prayers. A remembrance prayer where we remember... Either the world we live in, those we live with, or those in the next life. And there's the canon starts with three remembrance prayers, and it ends with three remembrance prayers. And in between those remembrance prayers are offering prayers. That's the other type of prayer is offering prayers. And there's five of those. There's two before the consecration, and then there's three after the consecration. Three remembrance prayers, then five offering prayers, and then three remembrance prayers. That's the way the canon is constructed. <clears throat> and the most important prayers of the Mass, of the whole Mass, are those five offering prayers. The, the prayers, something that that's Father Brown um, points out that's very important is 
there's so many signs of the cross that take place during the canon. The priest is often made by the church to associate what he's saying with his mouth with the cross so that we do not are not confused about what's taking place here. This is a sacrifice. We're united with the sacrifice of the cross. But the signs of the cross before the consecration have a different significance from the signs of the cross after the consecration. So before the consecration, signs of the cross often associated with the word bless. The church is aware that, that this is still, our Lord is still not present. So we're asking God to bless these offerings. Um, and we can see in the very first prayer of the Teiji Tor, the priest makes the sign of the cross over, over the, the offerings. He, he's going to go like this. He's going to bend all the way down. Then he's going to come up, and then he's going to make the sign of the cross over the chalice and the host. So that's more than a shoulder bow. It's a half bow. Kisses the altar. Then he's going to make the sign of the cross. Three times, I think. So it's before the consecration, these signs of the cross are going to be for blessing, for blessing the offering. After our Lord is present on the altar, are we going to bless our Lord? No. No, we're not going to bless our Lord. The the, the, the sign of the cross is not going to be made to bless our Lord. Of course not. Um, So the signs of the cross after the consecration are to identify the sacred species with the cross. to, To say that that our Lord, the victim of the cross, is here. So it, it won't be associated with the word bless, but words like the body and blood of our Lord. So the, the, the priest sometimes is asked to make the sign of the cross over our Lord when he says body, and over the, the chalice when he says blood, to indicate that the body and blood of our Lord are identified with the body and blood of our Lord on the cross. Um, to make that connection. So, next week, um, for for our last class on the Mass, we, we, we are just going to look at these prayers and try to understand the canon better and um, the significance of these prayers in the context of the Mass. So, I will leave it at that for tonight. Thank you for your attention. And we will say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. Our Lady, help of Christians. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.